Welcome to the Exchange Church Podcast. Feel free to join us live on Facebook every Sunday at 10 a.m. at facebook.com slash exchange church. The following message is brought to you by our lead pastor, Pastor Jared Brooks. Amen, amen. Somebody say amen this morning. So good to see you, you beautiful people and those of you keyboard warriors that are watching online this morning. So glad that you're part of uh, the service. Uh, We're excited about today, excited about what God's doing in this season. And uh, so I just wanted to welcome you. Now, today we're going to start a brand new series. We're going to spend the next four weeks in a, a brand new series. And it's entitled Leading Through. Everybody say Leading Through. Leading through. Now, this, uh, the subtitle of this series is Three Essentials for Navigating Uncertainty. Okay? Now, here's the thing. We all have in common. This is something that we've all, all gone through. But over the past several months, over this past year, it has been kind of crazy. And a lot of people, and we talk to people all the time, you know, uh, I feel like I'm, I have two faces uh, this morning because... Uh, there's a, a positive side of me this year, and then there's a negative side uh, with our daycare. And that, that business, it's been just a nightmare, and every day is just a struggle. And so there's a lot of people who feel that way. And you kind of have gone through this year feeling like you're a little bit picking up the pieces to what's going around us. Um, but, and, and, and for a lot of us, we're just moving forward the best we can. But if you're like me, um, which I believe you are, I would bet this, that... It's not you just trying to make it through this year, but you're also responsible for helping other people move through this year and navigate through uh, whatever craziness that we've gone through, whether it's family members, employees, or team members, or uh, whether you're a parent or a manager, a business owner, executive, a board member, whatever your role may be, we're all kind of navigating through this together. And, and as leaders, and I say as leaders because you are probably responsible for helping assist and navigate somebody, uh, whether it's your kids or not, through, through what we're going through. But everybody that you are responsible for as a leader, they're looking to you to kind of guide them through this. They're looking to you for direction. They're looking to me for inspiration and direction. They're looking to all of us for hope, ultimately, right? And so that's kind of what we're going to talk about this morning because, as you know, as a leader, leading people under normal, everyday circumstances, that's a tough enough job. You know, being a leader, you have responsibilities, you face challenges and difficulties just under normal circumstances. But leading, leading your family, leading people through what we have been going through over this past year and, and still that we're kind of coming, I, I'm speaking prophetically, coming out of, uh, uh, what we're leading in that type of situation is not for the faint of heart, okay? It's difficult, uh, and, and I won't tell if you won't tell, but believe it or not, we don't know everything. And as leaders, as parents, I'm not going to tell you kids, you don't tell my kids, but we don't know it all, okay? We don't, we don't have it all. In fact, a lot of us, as we're leading through these trying times as, as business owners, as, as leaders, as board members, as parents, as, as coaches, whatever it is, as you're leading through these times, you kind of feel a little bit unprepared, right? I mean, nobody prepared me for this. And so we're just kind of facing it because the, the truth of the matter is we don't have all the answers. And we also don't always know what to do. Believe it or not, I didn't hear a lot of amen, so I know most of you know what to do in those situations. But I don't always know what to do. And a lot of times we're just kind of making it up as we go along, right? Right? That's the truth. So anyway, having the discipline, and I think having the humility to be able to admit as a leader that you don't know it all speaks volumes. Having the, the humility to be able to say, I really, I'm just trying my best as we move through this, what it does is it makes you a better parent. 
It makes you a better boss. It makes you a better official, a better coach, whatever it is. Because, listen, there's no point in kidding ourselves, and there's no point in kidding the people that are looking to us for direction. Uncertainty is a permanent part of life. And if you've lived long enough, you can say a big amen to that. Uncertainty is just a part of life. And uncertainty is absolutely an essential part of the leadership equation. That's just kind of the way it flows. In fact, uncertainty is why the world needs leaders. It's why your family, it's why your company, it's why your city, it's why the, your community, the people around you, it's why they look to you and they need you. So here's what we're going to do in this series, and, and this is going to be a four-week series, but we're going to discuss the essentials for leading people, leading your family, leading those that you love, those that you're close to, those that have been entrusted to you, leading them through times of disruption, leading them through times of uncertainty, because uh, if you feel the weight like I have felt, uh, then it's been a, a, a challenging task. And so that's kind of what we're going to discuss. So these three essentials that we're going to talk about, in my opinion, these are non-negotiables. I think to some, some degree they're irreducible minimums, but they're always, always important. But times of uncertainty, and I think that we're facing it is like never before. But before I give you these three essentials, I want to spend a few minutes. We're going to look at a, a Bible story uh, that's found in the Hebrew Scriptures, which is what we called our Old Testament. So we're going to go back, and in this text, it draws all of us who are influencers into a broader context of our responsibility as leaders, as our responsibility of influencers. And so that's what we're going to talk about. So whether it's at home, whether it's at work, whether it's in a community, this ancient narrative reminds us all the most important things that we can keep in mind as we think about our leadership and our influence. And it's really simple, and it's this, that leadership, and if you're taking notes, these are some things to write down. Leadership is always stewardship, okay? Leadership is always stewardship. Now, we, today in 2020, we don't often use the term stewardship a whole lot, you know. You don't hear that every day, probably, in your normal conversations. But, but in this context, back in this day, a steward was someone that the king appointed. The king would appoint a steward, and when he would appoint the steward, he would give the authority of the king to the steward. He would bestow all authority to the steward to represent the king and make decisions and make moves and, 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 and do things the way the king would have them done. And so the, the steward was appointed and he had the authority of the king. It was on loan from the king. It was given to the steward. The authority was given to the steward. But the authority also, because it was given, it could be taken away. As we're going to discover, this is also true in our influence as leaders uh, today. So, the more successful we are, the more successful you are, the easier it is to lose sight of this very, very, very imp important component of leadership. To bluntly put it, we kind of put it in more uh, businessy terms, we don't have people we have a responsibility to people. So as leaders and as influencers, we don't have people. We have responsibility to people. Because someone loaned you your responsibility. Someone loaned you your authority. Someone gave you this opportunity to be an influencer and a leader. And leadership, all leadership is stewardship. Now, the second part of this, not only is leadership stewardship, but here's number two. It's also temporary, okay? Leadership is temporary. In other words, the clock is ticking. Some of you feel it now more than ever. The clock is ticking. I know I feel it now more than ever. My body feels it now more than ever, and eventually... Time will run out on your authority and on your influence. It will either be taken away from us or it will either be given away because it is temporary. And the reason that it is temporary is because you are temporary. Now, I know you don't like to think about that, 
but it is the truth. And knowing that there's an expiration date on your influence, knowing that there's an expiration date on your leadership should inform our posture and our tone and our humility as leaders. So eventually our time runs out. And when it ends, at that point, your legacy is established. Okay, And your legacy, and a lot of people don't like to think about it this way, but believe it or not, most of the time, our legacy is based on our final chapter, not necessarily our finest chapter. Okay, So your legacy, when it's all said and done, it's, it's over. And that's not necessarily fun to think about. It's not fair, but honestly, it's true. Leadership is a stewardship, number one. Leadership is temporary, number two. And number three, in today's narrative, and this is why it's so important, stewardship is, or leadership is stewardship, temporary, and number three, we are accountable. Everybody say, we are accountable. Everyone is accountable. Everybody is accountable to somebody, right? You agree with that, I'm sure. Uh, everybody's accountable to somebody for how they steward and how they manage their influence and how they manage their leadership, but today's narrative reminds us that our accountability, uh, our accountability as leaders goes beyond boss, it goes beyond board, it goes beyond um, constituency, it goes beyond a base. In fact, if you believe in some way, shape, or form that all men and all women were created in the image of God, then consequently, the people that you lead or even the kids that you raise, or the, the wife that, that you're married to, the spouse that you're married to, or your, even your brothers and sisters, then ultimately we're accountable to God on how we lead or how we leverage our influence with those that, that are looking up to us, that are looking to us for direction. Jesus taught this. Jesus modeled this. And so today in our text, we're going to look at it because it illustrates it just a minute. And this, this story is kind of fun, and uh, it's, it's some history for you, maybe some ancient history for some of you. Maybe not all of you have even heard this story, but it takes place around 580 B.C. Now, the main character in this story is an incredible military powerhouse. He is an unbelievable uh, leader, extraordinary military power, and uh, in fact, he... he begin to confuse his progress with greatness. And the way that he's kind of brought back to earth or brought back to reality is really unusual, and that's the fun part of this story. Uh, some of you will recognize his name. His name is King Nebuchadnezzar. Anybody ever heard that one before? Good, both of you. For the others of you in this room <laughs> and watching online, King Nebuchadnezzar is a Bible character. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, I remember him. He threw the Hebrew children into the fire. Yeah, that same guy. So King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar was literally the most powerful man living on, on the earth at, during this time. He was the most powerful man in the world in the day in which he lived. He was the king of Babylon. He resided in the city of Babylon. And the city of Babylon uh, today would be modern-day Iraq, Okay. So this is really important. I'm going to give you some history, so just kind of hang on to this. But 20 years before the story that we're about to read, uh, 20 years before that, King Nebuchadnezzar goes in and he invades Judah. Well, when he invades Judah, he kind of leaves Jerusalem alone. He lets Jerusalem, he spares Jerusalem. But what he does is he goes in and he takes all the elite of that region, that area. He takes the smartest all the most brilliant, the, the richest. He takes the, all the, the who's who, you know, the best of the best. He gathers them up, and he takes them hostage back to Babylon, and he makes them hostages in Babylon. And a part of these hostages that he takes from Judah, uh, you'll recognize these names, but he takes Shadrach, he takes Meshach, he takes Abednego, and he takes Daniel. So a few years goes by, then Nebuchadnezzar returns back to Jerusalem. This time, he destroys the city. He sacks the city. But first, he goes into the temple, and he loots the temple. He takes everything of value, all the gold, all the golden goblets, all the silver, anything that's of value in the temple of Jerusalem. He takes it, takes it back to Babylon, and he puts it in his vault there in the palace. Now, 
log all of that information away, everything I just said, just kind of store that away for just a few minutes. Uh, those details will become important again at the end of the story. So, Daniel and the Judeans, they're exiled in Babylon. For them, for Daniel, if you ask Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego what was going on, what was happening, their story would be this. They believed that this was God's way of punishing them for being disobedient. This was God's way of punishing Israel for not being obedient to the covenant. And so God was essentially putting them in a timeout uh, until a period of time where they became obedient again. And that's what they believed. That's what they thought. That's what they knew to be true is that this was God's way of kind of punishing them for not following the covenant. If you ask King Nebuchadnezzar, he had a whole different story. King Nebuchadnezzar, he thought it was very simple. He thought that he won and Israel lost. He believed that his God and and his God at the time was Marduk. Okay, That was the name of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's God. He believed that Marduk won and that the Israelite God, Yahweh, lost. And it was plain and simple. And since his God won, they lost. He destroyed a lot of Judah. He destroyed Jerusalem and ransacked the temple again. And and now he's gone back and taken everything. He won. End of story, right? But as it turns out, it's not the end of the story. Okay? There's more to the story than that. And we know this because Daniel documents all this for us. Daniel begins to write this down, and Daniel documents the unusual events that unfold kind of in this time period. He writes it in what we call the book of Daniel is the Hebrew scripture. He had, Daniel had been in Babylon for about 20 years by this time that he writes this. He had worked his way up uh, through influence and relationship. He had worked his way up to become a trusted advisor to King Nebuchadnezzar. Um, And according to Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar one night had this really disturbing dream. This dream really freaked out King Nebuchadnezzar. And and it was so terrifying. uh, And and King Nebuchadnezzar was absolutely sure that it had everything to do with him and that had everything to do with Babylon. And so King Nebuchadnezzar felt like he was in trouble. And Daniel was there because he was in a relationship with King Nebuchadnezzar. And you'll find out later he... Basically, King Nebuchadnezzar talked to him. Uh, Daniel ended up interpreting, and, and, Dan, and Daniel ended up writing down the confession of King Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel's kind of an insider on this. And here's what Daniel writes down. He says, this is what King Nebuchadnezzar said, and this is in Daniel chapter 4, starting with verse uh, number 4. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was in my palace, contented and prosperous, And I had a dream that made me afraid. Now, here's the dream. uh, And I'm going to paraphrase. You go back and look this up. He had a dream that there was this enormous tree. It had this huge canopy. And and this tree could be seen by all the peoples of the earth. And it it protected all the peoples on the earth. They they were sheltered by this tree. It fed all the creatures, both human and, and animals. And it was protected. And all of a sudden, he has this dream. And in this dream, he hears a voice. And the voice says, cut it down. And then all of a sudden, in his dream, this tree was cut down to a stump. And then in the dream, he hears the voice say this. This is verse number 15. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. And let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. And then the voice announces this. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know. In other words, all the peoples of the earth may know that the most high, in talking about God, is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. So, some of you are going, yeah, I don't get it. So neither did King Nebuchadnezzar. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he wakes up from this dream and he is 
terrified. He is freaking out. He knows it has something to do with him. He knows it has something to do with, with Babylon. So he calls in all the usual suspects. He calls in the, the who's who and brings them in and says, I need to know what this means. He tells them by detail, at the dream. He tells everybody the dream, and everybody's going, I don't know. And now we don't know if they actually didn't know how to interpret the dream or if they weren't going to touch it, okay? So maybe a few of them knew how to interpret the dream. We don't know. And so he brings in all these people, and nobody wants to interpret this dream. Eventually, <coughs> word gets around, and he brings in Daniel. Daniel comes in, has a meeting with King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel hears King's, King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and Daniel writes and tells us that he was so terrified at hearing King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. See, I just told you all the dream, and you're like, I don't even get it. Daniel was so terrified that he writes and says King Nebuchadnezzar had to comfort him. So King Nebuchadnezzar tells him the dream. Daniel's freaking out. King Nebuchadnezzar's like, hey, it's all right, buddy. We're going to be good. You know, we're going to be good. It's just a dream, bad dream. I had pizza last night. You know, it's kind of one of those things. And he comforts Daniel, and then Daniel looks at him, and this is what Daniel says to him. In verse number 19, he says, my Lord, if only the dream had applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries, we would be okay. If only this dream was about our enemies, we would be good. But it's not. It's about you. It's about you. And then perhaps because of what Daniel was about to say, I like to imagine what it was like in that room, but I believe that Daniel probably took a step back and said, okay, so here's what happens. King Nebuchadnezzar, here's what the dream means. The Most High God has decreed that you'll be driven out from and away from humanity. Um, it means that you're going to become like a wild animal and that you're going to humiliate yourself publicly and while this is going on, and I believe Daniel probably takes another step back, and he says, you're going to humiliate yourself publicly, and, and it's going to continue to happen until, until you finally acknowledge the Most High God is sovereign among all nations of the earth, that he's, he's the God, he's the only God. And everything, this bad stuff's going to happen to you until you make that acknowledgement that it's not you, and it's not Marduk, Duke, Marduk, Marduk. It's not Marduk, but it's the most high, sovereign God. And then Daniel steps into his role as advisor. And he says, well, listen, king, I want to give you some advice. Your kingdom, here's the good news, it will be restored to you. But not until you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, please accept my advice. And then he goes on. He starts to give him some advice. And he says, listen, renounce your sins by doing what is right. He says, uh, uh, and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. And it may be that then your prosperity will continue. King Nebuchadnezzar, when he hears Daniel say all this, King Nebuchadnezzar is freaked out. He is absolutely terrified. But. Not too terrified because a year goes by and he doesn't do anything. He has this terrible dream, this nightmare, and, and nobody wants to tell him what it means. And then finally Daniel tells him, and he's like, are you serious? Okay, thank you. And nothing happens. No change. Daniel goes on and he writes in verse 30, 12 months later. The king is walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and he says to himself, is not this great Babylon I have built on the man as the royal residence by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty? Pat myself on the back. Who's the man? I'm the man. He probably had his wife call him daddy. You know, he was feeling that proud and that good about himself. I got it all together. This is all about me, right? 
And so that's what he's saying. Look at what I've done. Look at what I've built. Look at what I've accomplished. And if this were made into a movie, at this point you would hear the music change. And you could probably guess what happens without even reading the scripture. Daniel writes, these words were on his lips when a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has officially been taken away. You're done. You're done. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, is, he's, he's one that's he's accustomed to making the decrees, right? He builds a, a, an idol 90 foot tall and 90 foot wide and has everybody bow to it. You know, he makes all these decrees and rules and all these things. He's not used to anyone making decrees about him. And all of a sudden, he's the subject of the decree that he didn't make. King Nebuchadnezzar, it's been taken from because it was given to you. It was given to you. This is a, a loan that was given to you. Your stewardship, your leadership was stewardship, and you haven't stewarded it. You have abused it. And because it was given to you, it can be taken away from you. And it was pulled back. And Nebuchadnezzar, you don't know it, but you also are accountable. It doesn't matter who you are in this world, whether you're a, a king or you're just a school teacher or whatever. You are accountable for the leadership that has been given to you. If you're a parent, you have been held accountable for the leadership and the influence that has been given to you. You're being called to account today, King Nebuchadnezzar. You made it all about you, and now, today, you are through. King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel writes, you will be driven away from the people. You will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth, and that he gives them to anyone he wishes. And immediately, Daniel writes this, immediately he was driven away from the people, and he ate grass like the ox. His body was eventually drenched with the dew of heaven. His hair began to grow like feathers, and his nails like the claws of a bird. King Nebuchadnezzar absolutely lost his mind. He went crazy. He went psycho, possibly stricken with, with boanthropy is what a lot of people believed. And boanthropy, boanthropy was a, is an actual psychological disorder where a person suffering from it actually believes that they are a cow or an ox or whatever. They begin to live that way. So what happens, King Nebuchadnezzar's wife or attendants, they walk in and they see him walking around on all fours and making animal noises. Now, that, this is kind of funny to me. I mean, y'all are looking at me like this is so serious. To me, this is kind of funny. Imagining this king is now walking around like an animal and is making animal noises. So they take him out to a private garden, and they were trying to keep this story on lockdown. You know, they were trying to keep it on hush-hush, on uh, and it probably worked as well as it does in your family. <clears throat> You know, don't tell nobody. I'm going to tell you something, but you just got to promise I won't tell no. I promise I won't tell nobody. And then you tell the one person, listen, I'm just going to tell you, but you can't tell nobody. You got to promise nobody. I mean, I'll deny it, right? And then next thing you know, everybody's made those promises, and everybody know. Everybody know about it, right? So they take him out to a private garden. They try to keep this down. Uh, we don't know exactly how long he was there. A lot of theologians believe that he was there for a, a good amount of time. And so eventually he comes back to his senses. Eventually he kind of wakes up and when he does, they gather around him and they tell him what happened. They tell him the story. They're like, listen, here's what happened. And he, when, when hearing the story, he's absolutely humiliated. And he begins to put two and two together. He starts thinking about the dream that he had. He starts remembering Daniel's interpretation of the dream. Uh, and so he, he starts to confess. And as he begins to confess, Daniel writes this down. And here's what Daniel says in verse number 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven. And my sanity was finally restored. And then, of course, you can imagine this is exactly what we would have done. And then I praised the Most High. 
I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is eternal dominion. Suddenly, it's not about Marduk anymore. Suddenly, it's not about me anymore. All of a sudden, I've realized that my authority, my influence didn't come from me, and it was taken from me. And so now, I'm not acknowledging that I did everything, but I'm acknowledging that he did everything. And so he begins to praise and honor God. He says his dominion, his dominion was an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right. All his ways, they're just. And then King Nebuchadnezzar probably says this next statement, 100% talking about himself. And he says, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So, Here's the lesson from Nebuchadnezzar for us and leadership, even kingship. But leadership is stewardship. It's stewardship. It's a gift. And it's a gift that's also temporary. It's temporary. And as leaders and as kings or whatever capacity you are, whether it's just parents, we're accountable to that influence and that leadership that has been given to us. And so we dare not, and this is our lesson, we dare not leverage our power and we dare not leverage our influence to oppress people that we've been given the opportunity to influence. We don't oppress those. Now, this whole incident with King Nebuchadnezzar, it didn't happen in secret, you know. They tried to keep it in secret, but there were a lot of slaves during this time period. Anytime there were slaves, there was no secrets. Uh, and that just continued on to 2020. There's still no secrets. Uh, and so we just share things with our family, and it just spreads like wildfire. This story begins to circulate through the royal house, the royal family, and it begins to get out, and it begins to spread. Pretty soon it spreads all over the kingdom, and everybody knows what happens. So now, follow me. Forty years later, Nebuchadnezzar, finally dies, and after King Nebuchadnezzar dies, there's another king, and then I think there's two or three kings that, that go in, uh, and, and they reign, but all of them reign for just a short period of time, and then finally, uh, the, the, the glory of Babylon is declining, and it's fading, and it's just getting worse and worse and worse, but the king of uh, Babylon becomes King Nabonidus. Everybody say Nabonidus. That's a fun name to say, Nabonidus. So those of you that are still having babies and thinking about good baby names, Nabonidus, uh, Nabonidus. So King Nab Nabonidus, he is the new king of Babylon. And Babylon's glory and their power is just on a quick decline, okay? Uh, Everything is starting to go down. Uh, king Nabuc Nabonidus, he's no King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar was a military force. He was just a powerhouse. King Nabonidus, he's not. He's not at all. And so everything starts going down. Well, all of a sudden, the, the Persians in the east under Cyrus the Great. Everybody say Cyrus the Great. So I'm going to try to say this story. And I'm giving you a lot of names I know, but I'm trying to keep it all in perspective for you. So you got King Nabonidus who is now ruling Babylon in place of Nebuchadnezzar, who's been gone for a while. And then you've got the Persian, who is ruled by Cyrus the Great. And they are, they're strong, and they're starting to flex their military and economic power. And so Cyrus the Great, he has his eyes and his sights set on Babylon. Okay, Cyrus the Great is ready to come in and destroy and take over Babylon. And so he gathers his army, and he starts heading that way, and he's ready to, to ransack Babylon. So King Nabonidus, who's the king of Babylon, he puts his co-regent Belshazzar, or Belshazzar, or however you want to say it, Belshazzar, he puts him in leadership over the city. And he says, look, Belshazzar, you are over the city, and I'm going to take the army out, and I'm going to go meet up with Cyrus the Great, and I'm going to destroy him. So you're over the city, Okay. And so King Nabonidus takes the Babylonian army. You with me? They march out to meet the Persians who are headed to Babylon. 
and they get destroyed. The Persian army destroys the Babylonian army, kills them. And they take King Nabonidus and they keep him as a prisoner. So at this point, it's, it's, it's trouble. So meanwhile, back in the city of Babylon, Belshazzar, he's now the king, you know. He kind of tells everybody, hey, obviously Nabonidus is, is not going to be here anymore. He put me in charge. I'm the new king. And, uh, and so as the king, um, here's what we're going to do. Don't fear. Don't panic. And so what he does is they reinforce the walls. They reinforce the gates of Babylon. Let's get it stronger. Nobody can, nobody can penetrate these walls anyway. And everybody in the whole region and area, they knew that the walls around Babylon were unpenetrable. Okay? So he says, hey, let's just reinforce it. We're good. We're good. Nobody can come in. The river runs right through our city. We're good. We have an unlimited water supply. So let them come on because they're either going to starve to death or they're going to thirst to death or they'll wait out there long enough or then they'll freeze to death. But either way, they can't handle us. We have got it made. And so he throws a party. Okay? He throws a part, a huge party because he, he believes that he's the ruler of the greatest kingdom and he's just going to just destroy everybody. So in light of what happens next, it's important to note this, that King Nabonidus appointed Belshazzar to be the co-regent. Belshazzar has now become the king, and that is actually King Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. Okay? So in this text that we're about to read, a few times you hear them say, Father or son, talking about Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, but it was actually a grandson, but that's just the way they talked. And so here's what happens next. Chapter 5 of Daniel, verse number 1. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles, and he drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and the silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father had taken, which was actually his grandfather, had taken from the temple of Jerusalem. We talked about that, remember, earlier uh, this morning. So they brought in the gold tablets, the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, they drank from them. Essentially, they were doing this. They were making a mockery of these sacred things that had been stolen and taken from the temple, the holy place of God. But it gets even worse. As they drank the wine, they began to praise the gods of gold, and they began to praise the gods of silver, and they praised the gods of bronze, the gods of iron, the gods of wood, and the gods of stone. And Yahweh had finally had enough. And this is what Daniel writes in the scriptures. Suddenly, fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster on the wall near the lampstand in this royal palace. I, as you can imagine, the party stopped at this point. <laughs> They're all celebrating, having a good time, and I, I can imagine that it just shut down pretty fast when this hand appeared. The king watched as the hand wrote, but he has no idea what's being written. He doesn't understand it. He can't read it. Nobody can read it. Nobody can interpret it. He, his face turned pale, and he was frightened. And his, he was so frightened that his legs began weak, became weak, and his knees were knocking. And then Belshazzar announces to everyone at the party, he says, listen, anyone who can read what was just written on the wall, anybody who can tell me what this says, I will make you the third Highest in the kingdom. I will make you the richest. I will give you all the power. You'll be the third high. Anybody can tell me what this says. Anybody? Anybody? Nobody? I, I like to believe it's pretty quiet at this time. So the text tells us that uh, nobody steps up and all of a sudden... The, the queen comes back in. And so, you know, you can deduct a lot of things from this. One, the queen wasn't even invited to the party. I don't know. Or you can imagine the queen just left early. 
Either way, the queen's outside of this ballroom or whatever this, this room that they're in, and she either hears the parting stop or she hears some kind of commotion. Something causes her to come back in. She walks back in, and she looks up. She sees the writing on the wall. She looks over, and she sees Belshazzar. She notices that he's pale. She notices that he's just like, you know, he's freaking out. This is like serious, serious moment. You know, somebody just tell me. Tell me what this says. Anybody, anybody. And so she walks up to him, and she says, listen, pumpkin, or darling, or baby, or honey, or daddy, whatever they called him. I don't know. She says, listen, don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There's actually a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods on him. King Nebuchadnezzar actually appointed him to be the chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. He has the ability, believe it or not, to interpret dreams. He also can explain riddles and solve difficult problems. You need to call for Daniel. Daniel will come in, and, and he can tell you exactly what this writing on the wall means. And so Daniel's got it. So they, they go to bring in Daniel. Now, Daniel, at this point, he's probably uh, believed to be in about his 70s, mid to late 70s at this time. Apparently, in the kingdom of Babylon, he had been forgotten about by most everybody, except for, obviously, the queen. She didn't forget about him. And so... Daniel comes in, they go and they find Daniel, Daniel comes in, he glances up, he looks at this strange writing on the wall, I, I, I would love to play Daniel if we had a movie, and, and just, because I, I would like, you know, to imagine what his, he probably looked at it and went, who, I don't know, or maybe he looked at it and went, just shook his head, you know, like, you're in trouble. You're in big trouble. He looks up this at this writing on the wall, and the king, he began to explain to Daniel, listen, if you could tell me what this says, I will make you the third highest in the kingdom. I will give you all the wealth and riches that your heart desires. Here's Daniel's reply to that. Verse number 17, Daniel says, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing on the wall for the king, and I will tell him, what it means. You could hear a pin drop. You could hear a pin drop. I bet if people probably start scooting up on the edge of their seat. People were leaning in, you know, turning up their hearing aids or whatever they got to do. They're getting ready. He says, your majesty, your majesty. And at this time, Daniel kind of recounts a little bit of history to remind Belshazzar because Belshazzar obviously has forgotten. He says, your majesty, the most high God. He gave, everybody say gave. He gave your father, which is really his grandfather, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. It was a gift. He gave it as a gift. Because of the most high position, he gave him all the nations and all the peoples of every language dreaded and they feared him. That was your grandfather. King Nebuchadnezzar, he goes on, he says, But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was disposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory until. Daniel probably looked at him and said, Until. Until, and this is the bottom line for King Nebuchadnezzar. It's the bottom line for you. It's the bottom line for us. Until he acknowledged Till he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. And I think he paused and he probably looked Belshazzar right in the eye and he says, but you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. In other words, you grew up in the royal house and the family. You knew these, you've heard these stories talked about. Everybody knew this. You knew this. And you, you chose to ignore this. And he goes on, Daniel writes, but instead you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. And I think Daniel got a little bit angry because probably when he walked into the room, looked at the writing, he looks around at all the people and he sees what's going on. He sees all the goblets and all the gold and silver and things that they had brought in from his Jerusalem, from his temple. 
that they had stolen, and they're using them, and they're making a mockery. He looks at him, and he says, you had the goblets of the temple brought to you, and your nobles, and your wives, and your concubines, they drank wine from them. You have made a mockery of Yahweh. And he goes on, he says, not only that, it gets worse, but you praised the gods of silver, the uh, gods of gold, bronze, iron, wood, stone, which cannot see, they can't hear, and they can't understand anything. Okay? Do you understand how ignorant you are? So in this statement right here, Daniel basically completely offends the whole pantheon of gods that they had been worshiping that night. He says, you're you're praising all these gods. They can't hear you. They can't see you. And they certainly don't understand you. And then he goes on and he says, but you did not honor the God who holds in his hands your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent that hand that wrote the inscription to which Daniel might have added. We don't know this. He didn't write it, but I would like to believe he added you sure you want me to read this? <laughs> right? Because Daniel knows what's about to happen. Um, so, he says, here's what the word means. Mene. God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. In other words, Belshazzar, your leadership, it was alone. Your authority was alone. And God is calling the loan back. To kill. You have been weighed on the scale and found wanting. You're accountable and you have been evaluated for your accountability. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. It has been taken away. You thought it was yours, but it was actually never yours. You were just trusted with it and you abused it. And because of that, it has been taken away. Now, with all of this going on, they've been having this party, and all of a sudden this writing appears on the wall, and and they have this time of panic, and Daniel comes in, and Daniel's kind of not saving the day, is what I was about to say. Daniel comes in, and he finally brings clarity to what was happening. Outside, while all this is going on, the Persian army actually have engineers that have taken the Euphrates River. This is, this is a... Uh, you could go search this up in history. They're, they had taken the Euphrates River, and they had detoured it. They had taken, uh, they had turned it, they had cut it up, turned it to make a swamp area. And the point was so that they could stop the flow of the Euphrates River from lo- going under the walls because it literally flowed under the walls of the city of Babylon, and that's where they had this endless water supply. They had a huge wall, huge gates, totally protected, and an endless water supply flowing. The Persians go out. They turn this water supply so that it caps off, and there's not near as much. And all of a sudden, the water level of the Euphrates River starts to go down. It went down enough that basically the Persian, uh, we would call them the SEAL team, okay? The Persian SEAL team swims under the wall. They're able to swim under the wall. They find the guards at the gate, they kill all the guards at the gate, and they pull open those enormous, gigantic, massive walls. The Persians go in, destroy them. They go in and they destroy them. In fact, Daniel, he tells us this in verse number 30 of chapter 5. He says, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. The Most High is sovereign over all the kings on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure how all this works, and, but if it's true, and I believe this to be true, there's something there for us who have any kind of measure of influence or authority. Let me say it this way. Your talent, your education... Your family connections, your hard work, your discipline, and maybe for some of you, just your plain luck may have put you in a place of influence. But what you do with that influence determines whether or not you are a leader worth following. Okay? So some of you got there with hard work. Some of you got there with education or connections. And some of you just got there by accident. 
But now that you're there and you're in a place of influence and a place of authority, what you now do with that determines whether people can follow you or they will follow you. Or it determines whether you are a leader worth emulating. If you're somebody that they even want to be like. And this is what's so catalytic about this idea. Unlike King Nebuchadnezzar in his early years, unlike Belshazzar, when we view our influence, how great or small it is, when we view it as temporary stewardship for which we are accountable, we will be far less, listen, we will be far less likely to spend it all Focus it all or leverage it all on ourselves. When you get that, when you understand the authority and the power you have as a leader, as an influencer, you're less likely to use it all on yourself. We will be far more inclined to leverage our leadership. We will be far more inclined to leverage our influence for the sake of those that we have a privilege to lead. We don't have to be reminded that greatness is not progress. That greatness is not measured by progress. When we embrace this definition of leadership that incorporates the idea that, one, leadership is stewardship. You don't have people. You have a responsibility to people. You don't just have kids. You have a responsibility to your kids. And that it's temporary. You won't have that forever. And that it's accountable. We're held accountable. We don't have to be reminded at that point when we get those three things. We don't have to be reminded at that point that people matter. That people matter most. That what's best for people is always what's best. People matter. We don't have to be reminded of that when we understand our influence and our power of authority that has been given to us. We don't need to be reminded that people matter to God because we will live with the understanding that God is, has loaned us this temporary opportunity to begin with. He's loaned us this, this chance, this privilege to have influence in somebody's life. Did you know that, that, that some of us, we have neighbors? that live next to us. Some of you, you have a co-worker that works right beside you. You have, you have somebody that you talk to and you've just viewed it always as just this kind of like friendly relationship or whatever. But it is influence that has been given to you. You have this temporary uh, measure of influence that has been handed to you and you get to choose what you do with that. And if you understand that it's stewardship, that it's, that it's temporary and that we're accountable it makes a difference because leadership is always stewardship. Leadership is always temporary. And we are always accountable. And here's why. Because the most high God is sovereign over the kingdoms of man. And he gives them to anyone he wishes. Now, with all of that, I set up all of this for next week. So over the next three weeks, we're going to go through and we're going to talk about each one of these. We're going to kind of break them down. But uh, next time, we're going to tackle the first of these three essentials. And we're going to talk about what it's like to really lead through disruption, to lead through seasons of uncertainty, because we have that. And so I have a challenge for you before I close out this morning, okay? And uh, I don't do this often. I've done this a few times. But I have a challenge for you, some of you. Uh, if you're like Pastor Kevin, you know, I loved hanging around him when we were growing up. He's still this way a little bit. But if you dare him to do anything, it's on. He, he hates, if you just dare him to do anything, there's very, very little he won't do for a dare. So, if that's you, I dare you this morning to do a little Bible study this week, okay? It'll take you five minutes. So, pull out your Bible, and if you, if you want to take notes or you want to take a picture or whatever, uh, pull out your Bible uh, and look up Mark chapter 10, verse 42 through 45. Most of you will, when you start to read it, you'll recognize it. You'll recognize this famous passage. Because Jesus talks about what it takes to be a leader. Jesus talks about what it means to be great. And when you look at this passage this week, this will give you an opportunity to just kind of 
pull out your Bible or your Bible app on your phone. But read this, and I want you to answer this question. What are the qualifications for anyone? Now, this is in Jesus' words. What are the qualifications for anyone who wants to become great? We'll put that question up for you if you want to take a picture of it or whatever. But what are the qualifications for anyone who wants to become great? It's easy. And Jesus kind of, he lists it out and he lays a standard for you. And I said that and I challenged you with that because this has been a very unusual season for us. Okay? It's been a very um, difficult season at times. It's been a very crazy season at times. Um, you know, I've found myself trying to question or navigate or, you know, find answers to questions that I didn't even know the questions to. You know what I'm saying? You know, there was a, a pretty good period where we came into this church and we preached to a camera. And as you're preaching to this camera, you have all these thoughts that God's given you, these words that God's given you to to bless and empower and encourage. And looking at that lens, you can't put a face to it. You, you can't put a, a smile to it. You can't put a head nod to it. You can't put an amen to it. And, and there's just things change. And so you start to go through these rough seasons. But listen, I've learned this, that unusual seasons also present unusual opportunities. These crazy seasons have presented for us crazy opportunities, different opportunities, opportunities that, that we probably would never have had, had had we not gone through a season like this. And so what I'm going to ask you to do this week is after you read that passage and study it, I just challenge you and I dare you to look for an opportunity to leverage your influence your temporary stewardship of influence for the benefit of someone who could benefit from it. Because after all, that's why God gave it to you. That's why you have it. So this week, let's not just be hearers that, that come in and go, okay, you told this story about this old, you know, king and kingdom and all that. The point was that God gave them something. And when you don't use it and you mis, misuse it, it just sits. And then, and then that influence can be taken away. Your position could change. You could be fired. Go through divorce. You go through things. Suddenly, the influence looks different. The leadership looks different. So today, this week, if we'll just begin to examine the areas of our life that we have influence, the areas of our life that we have opportunities to be leaders. And, and it starts first in your house. It starts first in your home. She's my first. And then my kids. To be a leader, to be a, a father, to be a husband that's worth following that I can make decisions based on things that, that God's showing me. And she says, you know what? I'll follow that because I see it in you and I believe it. I believe that it's real and she'll follow that. But when I'm not living up to those expectations, I'm not a leader worth following. And it creates chaos and disruption and it causes problems in the family. And that, that ripples to our kids and it causes problems with my kids because there's chaos and friction. So when I start it in my house first and I become that leader, that influencer that's worth following, she becomes that. And, and people follow her and her level of influence. She has, she has probably a lot more influence than I do with people. She's got so many connections. And when it's good here, it's good there. And people just begin to follow. And next thing you know, people are going through crazy things and these unusual circumstances create unusual opportunities and all of a sudden we start getting phone calls Pastor Jared Shelly I, I need you 
can you do this? Can you help me with that? I don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, there's an opportunity for us to leverage our influence and our leadership for the benefit of someone else, which is exactly why God gave us that to begin with. Amen? Father, thank you so much. Lord, first of all, for the hand that's upon all of us and on our lives and in this church. God, I thank you for the leadership that you've given us. Every individual that, that's here this morning, all those that are watching online or that are listening on the podcast, God, you've given us opportunities of leadership and influence with our surroundings, whether it's just in our home or whether it's as a coach or whether it's as, as, as a teacher or whether it's as a, a board member or a leader or a manager or a business owner. God, you've given us all these different levels of leadership and influence. And I pray right now, Lord, that light bulbs just begin to go off in our heart and in our spirit and in our mind. And, it, and something begins to dawn on us that we have an opportunity. And though it may be a temporary opportunity, right now we have an opportunity to be a leader worth following. We have an opportunity to be a leader worth emulating. And so, Father, I pray that, that our eyes become clear as we begin to walk through uncertain times. And even though we don't have all the answers, God, we do know the answer. And it's always you, Jesus. It's always you, Jesus. No matter what we go through, no matter how difficult life gets, and no matter what circumstances are thrown our way, God, we can always look back to you. And you have an answer for us. So Jesus, I just pray that right now. I pray that authority and that leadership on this house and on these people. God, these families, these husbands and wives, these sons and daughters. And I pray that right now. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say,